Hey everyone, this is Dr. Dominic Fraboni, and today we'll be mapping the male pelvic floor on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Dominic Fraboni. Dominic Fraboni is a doctor of physical therapy and COO of the Mobility Method, LLC. He earned his doctorate in physical therapy from Mayo Clinic School of Health Sciences. He's a member of the American Physical Therapy Association and regularly lobbies for increased reimbursement for preventative and rehabilitative care. For the past decade, Dominic has been an avid coach, unified partner, and volunteer coordinator for Special Olympics and has assisted in coordinating events nationally for the NCAA and APTA. Since 2020, Dominic has acted as the COO for the Mobility Method LLC, where he is helping to create access to good, reliable, and affordable health and rehab information to all people. Dominic believes that true human healing happens through empowering individuals to independence in their health and wellness journey. In his work at the Mobility Method and as co-host of the Optimal Body podcast with his wife, Dr. Jen Fraboni, it is his hope to get the message of empowerment out to the masses. Dominic, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Thanks for having me. Super excited to chat today. So I had the pleasure of speaking with your amazing wife, Jen, for an episode on SI pain that was released last week. And I have to admit to you, as I did to Jen, that musculoskeletal health is not my strength of wisdom. So I'm always happy for the opportunity to be intellectually stretched a bit. And on top of that, um, the male pelvic floor is not something I've thought much about beyond the health of the prostate gland. So for all of those who are like me, can you help us understand what the male pelvic floor is, what it consists of? No, that's a great question. And thanks so much for, again, having me on. And yeah, hopefully I can live up to the standard that Jen set as far <laughs> as it comes to you know musculoskeletal information. And I love that we're talking about the male pelvic floor. One, because pelvic floor health in general needs to be talked about a lot more. It's starting to come more into the forefront, especially surrounding pregnancy and birth, which is incredible. I just think that it really needs to be something that we talk about throughout life. Because when we talk about the male pelvic floor, really anatomically, physiologically, it doesn't function a whole lot different than the female pelvic floor. We have the same muscles and some of the major functions are for 
helping with posture and structural integrity of the core. It really supports a lot of our reproductive organs and some of our abdominal or lower abdominal organs, and also with sexual function as well as urination and defecation or going to the bathroom. So, so many important things in our life when it comes to sexual function, when it comes to getting rid of our waste and going to the bathroom, as well as just posture and being able to support ourselves from that foundational pillar of our core. Mm, That really puts it into context for us. Are there things that trigger the pelvic floor being out of alignment? I guess that one thing that I would start by saying is our pelvic floor tends to develop a certain amount of tension or a certain amount of laxity based on everyday behaviors. It's like many things in our bodies. When we talk about functional nutrition, we tend to build up these patterns or how our physiology operates over the course of years or decades. And so really how we breathe can have a massive impact on whether our pelvic floor is consistently in a more tight position or is consistently in a more relaxed position. And when we talk about being in or out of alignment, I don't know if those are necessarily the words I would use because again, this pelvic floor is just this sling or this hammock that sits at the bottom of our pelvic basin. So the muscles itself, the pelvic floor itself might not tend to be out of alignment. I would call it more of a miscoordination of how it's working within our abdominal canister, especially when it is related to the breath. Are there things that men are coming to you saying that make you think, oh, this is a pelvic floor miscoordination? Or is it more that we're talking about the pelvic floor like we would talk about breath? Like this is a necessity, even though it's not what you're asking for help with? I think when it comes to men, uh, this is kind of generalizing, but in in health in general, men tend not to talk about the things that are going wrong with their bodies. Um, Right. And that I think is just the theme that you tend to see. It's not a problem until it really becomes a problem. And then by that point, it's likely impeding with things that are going on in your life. I've shared some about my own public health story. I think men start to have issues related to their pelvic floor, you know, when they really have issues managing pressures in their core. And we tend to either push a lot of extra pressure through our pelvic floor. Anytime we have this miscoordination of pressure, it has to release somewhere. And we have these two openings at the bottom, both with our rectum and our urethra that kind of can allow pressure to go out. So if we're always forcing this pressure downward, that might start to result in some issues. So I've had people reach out after I've shared my own story, which is why I think it's so valuable for people to share because it kind of demystifies it a little bit and it helps people understand, okay, I can talk about this and not have shame surrounding it. I've also had some people reach out who I played college football with. And I think this is where a lot of people might start developing these patterns of kind of miscoordination of core pressures where we're lifting a lot of weights. I had a lot of friends who would lift really heavy weights in the gym, and we were never really having great coordination or balanced pressure in our abdominal canister from our diaphragm to our pelvic floor, the transverse abdominus that kind of wraps around that as that corset, and those back muscles. We tend to have one of those areas that overpowers the other, or we're using that big rectus abdominus and we're forcing all of our pressure into the front of that six-pack muscle. 
something else is going to have to give there. And so I've had friends reach out to me saying, hey, ever since we you know, stopped playing football, I've noticed I've had issues where I'll stand up after going to the bathroom and urine will leak out, or I will stand up in a meeting <laughs> at work and not realize that I had to go to the bathroom so bad and then leak a little bit. And so again, these are some of the end presentation of the symptoms that are going to start to develop because of this you know, chronic miscoordination of our abdominal pressures and our core canister. And Dom, you're young. I know nobody can see you at the moment. So <laughs> this is where like, we might be thinking about, is it a prostate issue or is it a pelvic floor issue and this miscoordination? How do you think through those detections clinically? Well, I guess when it comes to prostate issues, I'm not super well-versed in diagnosing some sort of prostate issue, whether that's an enlarged prostate or whether that's something happening in that arena, which again is where I would make a plea to men out there or providers that are working with men who might be having some of these issues. Like when's the last time you've been into your general practitioner? Have you had your prostate examined ever or recently? I think these are things that should start to happen earlier and earlier so we can have early detection in those areas. When it comes to the pelvic floor, I think that's one thing that you can always kind of have control over or always start to tap into and bring more awareness to in order to support in general. And then you can see, I guess, if there's resolution and we'll link to another episode on the prostate, but that's then where we start to take some of that like self advocacy role and go to the doctor. <laughs> but like, does this change anything? And I think that's when, if there are rehab professionals out there, if you're working with somebody who might be dealing with symptoms that seem to be pelvic related, whether that's any sort of leaking, any sort of herniations, things like that, incorporating a well thought out pelvic floor plan with that person, finding out if they're always tight, helping them find ways to relax that pelvic floor. Because often some people just tend to be super tight. And so just giving someone Kegels or saying, hey, let's work on Kegels. That's not always the answer. We need to first assess, do we tend to hold a lot of tension and struggle to relax or do we need to strengthen? Generally, it's a combination of both because if you have struggled to relax, then also you need to learn to strengthen and coordinate throughout the full range of that pelvic floor. Every time we breathe, when we inhale, our diaphragm drops, our pelvic floor should also relax and drop. When we exhale, our diaphragm, our respiratory diaphragm rises, and our pelvic floor should also see a concurrent rising or tightening. So much I have to ask you, Dom. Do you mind sharing a little bit about your story so that we all. can bring that to awareness? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, from the time I was really young, my junior year in high school was the first time I started having a lot of lower abdominal, almost inguinal area or groin type pain. And my dad's a family practice doctor, and I kept telling him, hey, there's something going on in my low abdomen. And being the family practice doctor he was, he gave me a hernia check. He said, oh, nothing's wrong. And then finally, I ended up having a protruding inguinal hernia um, after a basketball practice one day, found out that I had a bilateral hernia. So they went in, quote unquote, repaired it, put a mesh in. Great. All is good. The thing is, over the following years, I continued to have lower inguinal, lower abdominal pelvic type pains. And I was convinced that something was still going on or I was still, you know, did I have a hernia somewhere else? 
but I really didn't have the tools to be able to assess or address it on my own. I actually went back in and got checked. They said, yep, nothing's happening. There's no, you know, re herniation happening anywhere. And then it wasn't until after I got done with college football that I started having a lot of what would be more classified as urge incontinence. I just really started to have these urge symptoms at random and it would freak me out. I would be sitting with a patient and I would suddenly need to tell them, hey, I need to take a quick break or I need to go get something. And I would run to the bathroom, go to the bathroom, but not necessarily go a lot. And I was just really freaked out as to exactly what was going on. And that's when I started focusing more on my pelvic floor. It was actually around this time I was meeting Jen um, for the very first time. And she said, hey, you should start sitting on balls. And so I got these different yoga tune-up therapy balls are our favorite to use. I put them right inside my ischial tuberosities. And I kind of sit and find a really tender area and just breathe and let myself breathe down into that ball, tighten up against it then move it around, do it again. And that's when I really started to find that relaxation in my pelvic floor, along with that urge incontinent symptoms, because I have had a lot of head trauma. I've had some fairly major concussions. And I think that that kind of perpetuated or added into the issue as well, where I was really struggling to down-regulate my nervous system. So that's where a lot of down-regulatory breath practices came in handy for me as well, because that both helped me work on that coordination of the pelvic floor, getting that relaxation and that contraction with my breath, while also using a great parasympathetic breath style to downregulate that input so that stresses throughout the day wouldn't push me above that tolerance where I would start having these urge symptoms. Mm, Dom, thank you for sharing your story. And as you're speaking into it, there's so much that resonates both with you know, not initially being heard even by your own dad, right? Just like where there's something going on, you knew there was something going on, but how it can be hard to communicate that, but also all the interconnections between your nervous system and being in that constant sympathetic state, as you've been talking about that combination between the strengthening and the relaxing and how we can't do that in a chronic sympathetic state. So let's talk into some of that relaxing a little bit more. You talked about sitting on those balls and breathing into what I'm assuming is discomfort in that area. Yeah, you can tend to find anytime you're using a massage device, you can tend to find those top bands or those hypersensitive spots. And that's where if you're using some sort of ball, I tend to steer people away from lacrosse balls because they can be very hard and unforgiving. Again, we're trying to work with the nervous system. We're not trying to bombard it with cannonballs because that will just put us more into a sympathetic system. Anytime you're using tools, you should be able to breathe into it and work into it, not feel like you're cringing against it. I think that's a really good note for people to take home. You should never feel like you're gritting and bearing anytime you're trying to stretch, foam roll, use any sort of tool on your body. And so that's where when you find that spot that's a little bit tight with that ball, take a nice deep inhale. I like to breathe in through my nose and then you should feel your pelvic floor kind of drop down or push down into that ball. Cause on the inhale, that's when our respiratory diaphragm drops. And that's also where our pelvic diaphragm or our pelvic floor should drop as well. And then on the exhale, that's when we should feel that pelvic floor tighten up for a man that can kind of feel like you're walking into cold waters and your, your testicles, 
you know, tighten up a little bit into your body. For a woman, Jen loves to use the cue. It should feel like you're trying to pull a blueberry up and inside you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've got the breathing and the balls together. It sounds like those are really important. Are there other exercises that you recommend to men to support their pelvic floor health? So I think that, you know, starting there is great. The next thing is trying to do it without that biofeedback or that tactile feedback from the ball. So in a supine position, laying on your back in seated or in standing, then can you try to do that same thing and feel the pelvic floor move without any of that feedback? So same thing on that inhale, letting it drop, and then on that exhale, bringing it up and in. I think that that would be great to try in those different positions because when we do it consciously, especially when we do it with an autonomic process like our breath, that's what's going to help us start to instill it as an automatic thing that our body does when we're moving throughout the day. It takes a lot of practice for us to repattern something, especially when we're talking about the neuromotor system. We might need to work consciously on something like this for six to eight weeks before we really see transition into it being an automatic process. Another thing that I think is very valuable is working on this while you're doing other core work. A supine place is a great place to start because that's usually the least demand laying on your back. Something that I love to show people too is how you can coordinate this with really good diaphragmatic breaths. A lot of people say that we should be belly breathing and belly breathing can be a little bit of a misnomer because if we're just breathing and trying to puff out our belly, we might actually not be using the diaphragm super effectively. When we inhale, our low rib cage should expand, not just the belly, right? So a great thing to do is take a band, like a resistance band that you may have, wrap it around that low rib cage and then lay on the floor. As we inhale, we should feel our rib cage press out against that band. It's a great, another biofeedback tool where we can feel our rib cage expand into that band. And then as we exhale, that band should kind of recede as our rib cage comes down and flattens with our pelvis. There's actually great research, and I actually got to experience this in a lab when we were using ultrasound that showed if you are just effectively activating your transverse abdominis, you will also be contracting the pelvic floor to a certain percentage and vice versa. When you contract your pelvic floor, you will be also contracting your transverse abdominis. So there's an interplay there where those things are very tied neuromuscularly. So if we can start to then incorporate that pelvic floor dropping and contracting along with that breath out into the TheraBand and then keeping our rib cage tightened down as we exhale, that's when we should stand up and try incorporating that in certain exercises like squats and lunges and other exercises that you might do throughout the day. Because again, we may have developed this pattern of miscoordination of our pressures during the exercises that we do in general. So being able to bring that in and then instill that in the exercises that you do love to do every day could make all the difference in you starting to feel the difference in some of the symptoms that you may have developed, or again, if you're not experiencing symptoms, just in the stability and core foundation that you feel when you're going through certain exercises. It's kind of amazing how you use the term miscoordination earlier, and it makes so much more sense now. And um, I just want to 
Thank you. This was super informative, really practical, and also just a huge call to action for all of us with our pelvic health, but to bring this information forward to our male patients and clients, to the men in our life otherwise, because your story is so impactful and it invites people into a deeper sense of awareness. So thank you. Of course. And I really am appreciative of you having me on to talk about this. Just to kind of speak to the functional space. When I had my first hernia, they quote, fix it, throw a mesh in there. Okay, now you should be good. No more hernia. But I continued to have symptoms. And so again, if we just go in, put a mesh in there and say, hey, things are fixed, we're not fixing that underlying root cause of what's going on with my pelvic pressures. I'm still probably forcing so much of my pressure forward and now it's just jamming into this artificial mesh that is there. It's a mesh that I still have in today, but I haven't had pelvic pain in the last three to four years now because I've just drastically shifted my behaviors to actually address that underlying root cause. So really appreciate your podcast here, letting me come on and talk about some of this stuff. Hopefully people listening got a little something valuable out of it. Uh, We got a lot valuable and I love your passion and the final message there. Thank you so much, Dom. Thank you. The 15-Minute Matrix is hosted and produced by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The podcast is edited and mixed by Brian Paik of Pacific Audio, and special thanks go out to Alia Hale, Pamela Geismar, Sandra Brower, Evan Hollingsworth, Heidi Kaufman-Lakowitz, and Rowan Bradley for their support making the 15-Minute Matrix possible. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to see the completed functional nutrition matrix that accompanies today's or any episode, be sure to head over to the podcast website. Again, that's 15minutematrix.com. We love when you share our episodes with your friends and colleagues, leave a review and rate the show. That helps us to grow our collective message that functional nutrition is the future of healthcare. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Functional Nutrition Alliance, and you can follow me at Andrea Nakayama. And if you or someone you know is interested in becoming a functional nutrition counselor, head over to fxnutrition.com to learn more about our Full Body Systems program. Full Body Systems is our 10-month immersion course where you'll learn the systems-based approach to addressing the root causes of your clients' issues through client education, diet, and lifestyle modification. Again, you can always learn more at fxnutrition.com.